The following audio drama is rated NC-17 for no can do if you're 17, 18, or even 21 in some states or younger. In other words, the producers of this show didn't want to be burdened with things like morality or clothes. Hello, my name is Kelly Winkler, and I'm the presenter of the Alternative Stories and Fake Realities podcast, which is an anthology audio drama production. This means that each episode of the podcast tells a different standalone story through drama and poetry. We are an Anglo-American podcast, so we use writers, actors, and musicians from both sides of the Atlantic in creating our productions to give us a wider perspective on our stories. We are also passionate about promoting the work of female writers and actors and ensuring that female perspectives are fully represented in our stories. We have created a showcase edition of the podcast with content from a few of our episodes. We hope you enjoy listening to this. And if you do, please consider subscribing to the podcast and voting for us in the various Audioverse Awards categories for which we have been nominated. Thank you for listening to Alternative Stories and Fake Realities. Welcome to the Alternative Stories and Fake Realities Showcase Edition. I'm Kelly Winkler, presenter of the podcast and part of the Alternative Stories writing team. In this short episode, we feature clips and highlights from our podcast to date. In the adults in the room, Tiffany Clare and Catherine D'Addario play cousins reunited after many years apart, stumbling upon a family secret that threatens to drive a wedge between them. Do you ever wonder how two people, witnessing the same set of events and circumstances, can sometimes see or interpret them completely differently? Do you ever think that their senses must have been playing tricks on them, their versions awry? Or perhaps it is down to interpretation, to hearing only what they choose to hear, seeing only that which they truly want to see? Or is it a function of memory? The mind bulk erasing that which is unpalatable to it. Could it be that we each contain unconscious biases that filter everything we see, hear, touch or taste according to the outcomes we most desire? That we carry with us preconceptions and prejudices that we don't care to admit to, but which nonetheless prevail in all we do and see? That we airbrush or smudge, polish or sandpaper according to our preferences. And as years pass, our worldview becomes ever more entrenched, ever more intractable. So that some truths that were there all the time can leap out and surprise us when we least expect them to. Surely you'd have wanted to know. 10 years ago, 15 years ago. We've been through that. To your satisfaction, maybe. I think you've decided that you're exonerated of blame, which is great. Thank you. Wait, I've not finished. But you should have told me, V. 
You should have told me. I'd have told you if it the other way round. I'm not sure I would have wanted to know. You would. Oh, I think you would. What would it have achieved? Achieved? Well, it would have turned your world upside down. Ripped your heart out and danced on it. Made you cry for weeks on end. (laughs) A bit like I'm going through right now. But you would have wanted to know. (laughs) Oh, Amber. (sighs) Darling. Sweetie. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry you heard it this way. I just thought... (laughs) Thought I knew. I think we established what you thought and what I didn't know. It doesn't make it so just because you keep repeating it. Can you... Can you forgive me? In Daphne and Apollo, Tiffany Clare and Charlie Richards play a British couple visiting Rome, where Robert, played by Charlie, is a photographer working on a fashion shoot. Naomi, Robert's wife, played by Tiffany loses herself in the art of Bernini and in his sculpture of Daphne and Apollo, which becomes a metaphor for the failings in their relationship. Rome wilts in late summer heat. The dusty pavements and market squares feel baked to the red clay surface of a tennis court. The open spaces of Villa Borghese are parched at the end of a long, intense summer that shows little sign of mellowing. I've been here three days now. Robert has been shooting across the city for a new fashion house, keen to promote its credentials by hiring one of the best up-and-coming photographers. They pay well, and we're being kept in comfortable, if rather noisy, accommodation, just off Via del Corso. Even with the shutters closed and the ambient wash of the aircon cranked to full, The sound of vespers flit like angry mosquitoes through the room deep into the night. You used to think I was beautiful. I'm sorry, used to. You couldn't help but stare at me. I'd catch you stealing glances when you thought I wasn't looking. I could tell you were framing me with imaginary fingers the way movie directors are supposed to. (laughs) I was. I still do that. Maybe you just don't notice. Because you don't do it. More interested in the iPad and... Who's this? Chloe Garner? Professional interest. I honestly think I did some of my best work ever with her yesterday. She has this amazing... I I don't know. I want to say poise, but it's not as formal as that. A, A presence. A charisma. There's no word for what she has. Look at this. Chloe Garner, on the Ponte Sant'Angelo. The castle keep in the background in reddish tones. Chloe's skin is almost glowing against the honeystone angels of the bridge. She's amazing. Do you find her attractive? (laughs) She's only just turned 21. She's got the worldview of a sick former, a spoilt kid who's just signed a contract for half a million over two years. She can't hold a conversation about anything but herself for more than about 12 seconds. Yet the face of an angel and the poise of... What did you say? I said there were no words for it. No words. 
and the rest of the breakfast goes in silence. The way he'd play with his food or dance in our quiet apartment when we opened the curtains to let the light of a full moon fill the room. The way he'd say my full name, middle names included, to summon me to lunch. Naomi Louise Siobhan O'Donnell. Do you want some feckin' pasta or not? The way he'd stand behind me in the darkening light of a late summer evening. His large hands cupping my breasts as he kissed my shoulders and neck. Whispering the lines of some barely remembered song or poem in my eager ear. Don't neglect me, Robin. Don't leave me to wilt and die in the heat like an unwatered flower. A theme running through our first season is that of mythology. And in our episode called Hera and Galanthus, we look at an obscure story from Ovid's Metamorphosis. Galanthus, played by Catherine D'Addario, has incurred the wrath of Hera, played by Abby Hilden, and has been transformed into a cat. As we often do in alternative stories, we try to give a voice to this relatively obscure character and her extraordinary story. I was once a beautiful woman. My name was Galanthus. My red hair, parodied in the color of my fur in feline form, fell over my shoulders and halfway down my back. I was loved by men and, I think, admired by women. I never flaunted my beauty or used it to steal men from women less beautiful. My crime, my only crime, was to interfere with the plans of a goddess. You see, in a world where there are gods and goddesses, or politicians and leaders, those in power and those without power, Society is never really equal. Some end up in prison for crimes they didn't commit. Some end up hanged or shot or fried in an electric chair, while others fire the bullets or flick the switches or kick away the stools. For every winner, a loser. She loves to play to her audience. Crowds flock to witness her sentence and condemn those who cross her marveling at her skill as a user of magic and praying it won't be them on the end of it next time. I'm reminded of the day again when, trembling and breathless with fear, I stood before her and her council of minor deities, knowing I'd incurred her wrath and awaiting a fate I knew would be terrible. You dared interfere with my plans. You, a mortal... Interfering with the plans of a goddess. I thought I was acting in good faith. I was not aware of your plans. I... Silence! You are not here to plead your case, but to understand why I am angry. And I do. If you would only forgive me, I would... Forgive you? (gasps) So you want the gods to forgive you now? How very presumptuous of you. Mortal. My lady, I only wish to offer you my services. 
I can do anything for you. I will serve you for the rest of my days if you just... Serve me for the rest of your days. You shall, girl. Although not as you might imagine as a servant. More as a companion. Yes, I would be delighted to be your companion. I will be there at your side to meet your every need and... Again, not quite what I had in mind. A companion more in the matter of... A pet. Abby Hilden stars in our next excerpt as the sorceress Circe in another episode adapted from mythology. In this clip, Circe's relationship with King Picus, played by John Weber, has come to an end, and she contemplates revenge for his duplicity. And I lose myself, summon strength beyond my own, and pin him against the wall, hand under his chin, feeling the blood pulse in his neck. Give me one reason why I shouldn't, and my mind races. I think of his beauty, the body I have loved so much, that I cannot bear to lose, but which, at the same time, I wish to destroy. Turn you to stone, right here and now. Don't you think you deserve that? Use you the way you've used me as some decoration, distraction, piece of eye candy. You could be my ornament, a souvenir of our time together. Cersei, no. Or what about your wife? You know I have spells that could turn her into just about anything. How would you like to be married to a pig, Pigus? Hmm? And he cannot speak, and I can feel the terror rising up in him, knowing he is fully aware of my power, perhaps for the first time. Just go. Just get out and leave me alone. My love, thank you for sparing me. Oh, you're just not spared yet. Not by a long way. You don't spurn a sorceress the way you spurn me and just walk away as though nothing happened. You don't get to insult me with half-hearted attention and then just jilt me like a half-drunk glass of wine. I'm not done with you. Not by a long way. Our interpretation of the story of Echo and Narcissus sees singer-songwriter Micah Cottingham playing Echo, a young musician struggling with depression and issues of identity, as she tries to make her way in the world of music. Using music played and performed by Micah herself, we explore the ways in which creativity can be compromised and challenged. I am 17, and the world seems huge and terrifying. Books to read, paper and pens to scribble your thoughts, a new guitar. My first Martin, an action like, like nothing I've ever played. I can play as easily as I can tap the fingers of my left hand. Strings that sing like a gently plucked harp. Break every jar of loose change in the house. Sell things, work extra hours at weekends. And gradually, gradually, the darkness seems to lift. My porcelain pieces gluing back together. I hear the slowly strummed Martin, beautiful melodies. And Echo sings the words that Emily dare not. Sings about the darkness and a world closing in around her. 
things of being porcelain and of shattering on a stone floor. Sings for Emily, of Emily, deep from Emily's soul. Words that Emily would never sing. But it is Echo, a mask to hide behind. So if you wonder what I'm doing And you picked up that phone Well, just hang it up I'm not around, no, I'm not coming home So if you wonder what I'm doing If you wonder what I'm doing If you wonder what I'm doing my first EP, Don't. half a dozen songs, and the challenge is not what to put on there, but what to leave off. My first proper time in a studio, and my heart is more alive than it's ever been. Surrounded by creativity and cool, like-minded people, my porcelain doll seems a million miles away. In our episode called Medusa, we reimagine the monster from mythology from her own perspective, and from those of warriors sent to slay her. You can hear the voices of Jackie Jorgensen, Catherine Daddario, and Carla Rose Smith in these excerpts. We enter the courtyard, swords drawn. The calls of crows and ravens are the only sounds in this dark, lifeless place. The temperature seems to drop as we enter. I feel goosebumps rise on my arms and legs and wonder whether it's the cold or fear causing them. My heart thumps as though my body is imploring me to turn back. Be alert. We'll only defeat her if we work together and stay completely focused. Use the statues and pillars as cover. Be stealthy and silent. Blend into the shadows. One look and will be turned to stone. Avoid her gaze. Attack from behind. Shh, keep your voices down. She can hear every move we make and every word we speak. These statues are terrifying me. I can't imagine what it must feel like to be turned into stone. We won't be if we stay calm and focused. At first, I see just shadows and statues. Hundreds. Maybe thousands of them in a space that stretches into darkness about 50 meters from where I stand. The sky above is darkening. A faint half-moon just starting to rise over the ruined wall to my right. The first pinpricks of stars scattering above me. And then I sense movement, right ahead and slightly to my left. Not as close as I had imagined from the sound of her voice. A shadow. Just a slowly moving shadow in a world of shadows, but without question... Silhouettes of snakes, twisting and gyrating atop this shadow. It's her, no doubt. I brace myself, pray that she won't step from the shadow and show me her lethal eyes. But knowing that she must, and knowing that when she does, I am stone. We try to include at least one poem in each of our podcasts, and we end with one from our regular poet, Chelsea Buckner whose poem, Victim of Medusa, takes a very different perspective on the Medusa myth. Hear me, 
Victim of Medusa am I. One look into her blackened eyes, and I was struck as stone. Though I live forever unmoving, my skin calcified to bone, the marrow of me will still speak truth. So hear this victim of her gaze. The day Poisedon raped Medusa, her beautiful body struck to the ground, and by Athena she was found. See, Medusa was not cursed, but saved. No, Athena sat the Gorgon free. The only way Medusa could live in peace was untethered by her beauty. So Athena granted stone within her stare, defense of serpents in her hair. Athena knew the only mortal close enough to look a serpent in the eye are the ones with intention to kill and the dire need to die. And I, I, like all the victims, was sent to the island Seraphos to kill the Gorgon with sharpened sword. So hear me loud, hear me clear. All that are turned to stone are victims of our own free will, our ignorance, our hate. I beg of you, leave Medusa be, or you shall share my fate. Thank you for listening to this showcase edition of the Alternative Stories and Fake Realities podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please search us out in your favorite podcast app and subscribe to hear past and future episodes. Please also visit our website, alternativestories.com, for more information, including background notes on our episodes.